Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Social Impact Storytelling Podcast. I'm your host, Leila Ali, and joining me today is Cody Trigger. She is a marketing specialist at UNICEF's private sector fundraising division in Geneva. I've had the pleasure of working with Cody, and she's an amazing, phenomenal storyteller, campaigner, and strategist. Cody, it's an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. A very warm welcome to you. Thanks for having me, Leila. Anytime, anytime. So, Cody, before we do a deeper dive, I would like us to begin with you telling us your story and, you know, your journey and what led you to where you are today, working for the UN and telling the stories that really matter, not only to you, but to the world at large. Just a small, loaded question. <laughs> Since this podcast is around storytelling, I guess I should start by saying I've always loved to tell stories. Um, in my friends group, I'm notorious for telling very detailed stories because I'm such a visual person. And so I feel like everybody else also wants to know every single detail for a story to come alive. Like so much so that actually when I go to parties or when I used to go to parties, I would always kind of walk up to a random person and then try and get them to narrate a conversation that was happening across the room. And then I would like decide if I wanted to, you know, become friends with them based on the fact whether they would engage with me or they would kind of say, no, that's weird. Um, so, that, so I love storytelling. Um, I, how did I get to the UN? I moved to Geneva to do my master's uh, in, in international political history. And while I was doing that, I landed an internship at the UN. And I've been in the nonprofit world ever since. So I've, I've always been in communications and marketing and storytelling, working for, for UNHCR, um, for the Norwegian Refugee Council, for UNICEF. And I've done storytelling in many different places, from Pakistan to Jordan to Italy. Uh, most recently, I was at the border during the first month of the war in Ukraine. So I've done storytelling in many difficult contexts. You have indeed. I've seen your work firsthand, and that is an amazing body of work spanning so many countries and so many contexts. But Cody, today what I really wanted to talk to you about is one of the one of my favorite campaigns that you've worked on, which is the mini video game that challenged players to unlock the potential of refugee and migrant children. And I picked this one up because I remember it came out sometime in 2020 middle of the pandemic, when the whole world was going into lockdown, we were all just, you know, twiddling our thumbs indoors. And gaming was really taking off in a big way. And all of a sudden, um, to an outsider like myself, it looked as if UNICEF came out with this comms package around gaming, you know, which was incredibly timely and incredibly relevant. So it would be good to hear from you on the ideation behind that and what you were trying to achieve. I might first say that perhaps we were not as agile as, as you perceived us to be because this, this idea was actually in the works before COVID. And because the gaming industry is bigger than Hollywood and the music industry combined. And then during the pandemic, it exploded even more. So we were already interested in gaming before the pandemic. And then, and then the opportunity just tripled, quadrupled, I'm not sure on the exact numbers, but it, it really got a lot more attention. So we did manage to kind of get ourselves right ahead of the curve. Then with the pandemic, 
we we had even more of an audience, let's say. Back in 2019, 2020, pre-pandemic, I'm, I was working on uh, one of our global campaigns at the time around migrant and refugee children. And we were trying to solve like a problem or di- dilemma. And that was how can we shift the way that people see refugee and migrant children? So often the narratives were around um, really focusing on the negative aspects of migration or the vulnerabilities of children, like children, they need your help, they're desperate. And we wanted to kind of shift that public perception. How can we start talking um, about the potential and how can we get people and audiences to really start thinking about potential instead of these vulnerabilities? So they're not taking away from society, but what can they give back and what can they contribute to? So we, at the end of the day, turned to gaming as a way to do that. So the game actually, well, the whole campaign is centered around three um, migrant refugee children, uh, Nora, Salma, and Puya, who were living, all living in Greece at the time. And the idea was to follow these children um, as they kind of unlock their skills and work towards their goals. So they wanted to be a doctor, an author, and a pilot. And so how, how can gaming help them do that? How can we use gaming as a way for audiences to kind of live that experience with them? So we put together a whole package. So it had a hero film. We had uh, different cutdowns of ads. What we wanted to do was come up with a, with a campaign asset that was a game. So what we landed on for different reasons was a mini game, which is actually an ad. So say that you're playing um, a video game on your phone through an app that you normally use. When you finish a level, there's an ad break before you go to the next level. Instead of just passively watching a video ad like you might do on YouTube, you actually play the ad. So that's what this game was. So based on the hero film, we actually created a whole game that anybody could play um, where you want, you choose which character you want to be. So either uh, Nora, Sama, or Puya, and then you play through to help them achieve their goal. And so the idea was positioning these children as the heroes of their own stories, right? And so by doing that and by putting the audience member in these children's shoes, the idea was that you would start to kind of chip at changing how they perceive refugees and migrants migrant children as a whole. So from a brand engagement point of view, we wanted to kind of change hearts and change minds. And and as I said before, get audiences to think about the potential in addition to the vulnerabilities, but through kind of this interactive gaming experience. From an advocacy perspective, we also wanted to try and see if we could influence the gaming industry itself. So the gaming industry is kind of new as an industry overall. It's still kind of building regulations. There's lots of exciting things happening. There's also lots of what uh, we at UNICEF would say child safeguarding issues. So how do we protect children in this space? And so what we decided to do there was create some kind of, I guess I would call them behind the scenes assets. So we have um, actually... I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent, but one of the most incredible teams at UNICEF, I think, is what we call our child rights and business team, CRB in our jargon lingo. Um, And the role of this team is actually to work with business to help them ameliorate their practices, to to update their practices, become more family friendly, to become more child friendly. And so one of the industries that we work with is the gaming industry. So we decided, well, hey, it would be kind of cool if we made some campaign assets for these colleagues who are going and talking to the industry. And since the theme is gaming, why don't we make some like game cards and and business or and posters 
that people working in the gaming industry can kind of put up on their wall or have at their desk while they're working just to remind themselves how to keep children safe. Um, and then, of course, um, because, I, as you said, I, I sit in the, in the private sector fundraising division. We also wanted to um, allow audiences an outlet if they wanted to help further and, and give a donation to UNICEF. So all in all, the purpose of the campaign had brand engagement objectives, advocacy objectives, and fundraising objectives. What would you say was a call to action? Yes, I'm glad you asked this question. We spent a lot of time articulating the call to action to make sure that it really resonated with audiences. And so what we ended up using was your new mission, unlock their potential. So the idea was that this was a direct call to action to audiences, speaking to them with the use of your, using gaming language like mission and unlock. And then, of course, using the word potential. So really thinking about potential instead of vulnerabilities. So kind of reinforcing that narrative, but using the gaming and speaking directly to the audience. Excellent. I mean, I really like this. I really like this video game because for me, it was just a different way of telling that story on refugee and migrant children. Because as you said, this is, this is a huge issue. And often it's viewed through a certain filter or a certain lens that reinforces the stereotypes that people have about refugee and migrant children as being, you know, passive and recipients of aid and not realizing that actually this is an investment. They can be an asset to whatever communities they live in, right? So I, w- I would like to hear from you regarding the challenges because I'm sure it wasn't easy putting together a campaign like this. So what were the, the bottlenecks and the hurdles that you had to overcome? The first challenge we had um, was from a child safeguarding perspective. So as I said, we, it's impo- it was important to us to use real-life migrant and refugee children who had benefited from UNICEF. So we had to go out and find kids um, who wanted to participate in the campaign and, and keep it really true to this real-life story. So that was one challenge to kind of find these children. Um, the second challenge was to make sure that we kept them involved. So they were not just characters that, that we were bringing in, right? We were telling their stories. And so we also needed to make sure that they liked the direction the campaign was going in. They were okay with how they were being presented. So we would do check-ins with them to make sure they were okay with it. Uh, and in the mini game, for instance, I remember uh, Sama, she had a couple of, and, and Nora as well, they had a couple of comments about how their video game self looked. And so they asked for a couple changes. So then we went back and the game developer tweaked how they, um, to, to make the changes according to how they asked to kind of keep that going, to make sure that they were protected and that we didn't do any harm while we were, while we were making this campaign. So that, that was one challenge. Second challenge, I would say, was COVID. So this was, it seems so long ago now, two years ago, more than two years ago, but this was the very first shoot that we had did in the height of lockdown. So we... It was a remote shoot. Um, I was not allowed to travel. The, the director was not allowed to travel, actually. So we had, to, we had to work remotely. Everything was done on... There was a really cool app that we had to use um, where we could see what the camera was seeing. And then we would have to... We would have like different ways of, of communicating feedback and discussions with the agency and the director. That was, that was very tough as well to make sure that everybody stayed healthy. Nobody got infected. Um, and, and then to do everything remotely, we, we were learning. It was the, now we're used to it, but at that time, it was, it was quite difficult. Um, but that, that was a really big challenge. 
So, Cody, how long did the campaign run for and what was the impact? So we were quite lucky. Often at that time, we had only been running campaigns, like really pushing them for a couple of weeks at a time. But what we agreed was that we would do some paid marketing, um, targeted marketing. And so we were able to run the campaign for longer. We actually ran it for, if I remember correctly, two months, um, which for us at the time was was quite long. Um, And it really allowed us to kind of be a bit more agile mid-campaign and kind of switch switch our targeting um, so that we could be even more impactful. Um, but we had really good results. So um, the mini game actually we ran on on the game de- on a gaming network, and then we also had it hosted on the website. Um, and for the game developer, it was one of the best performing mini game ads of all time. Um, so that that's kind of talking about. So it basically it beat every benchmark. So on engagement rates, on completion rates, and click through rates. So that meant there were people who played the game and then they left the game they were playing to go look at our website and learn more about the kids. And so this this is really um, encouraging, let's say. Um, and we also had um, good results on global channels, like as I said, the Spanish channel, especially after years of cultivating an audience around potential, um, they really responded well to, to gaming creative, even though maybe it was a surprise for them to see it on UNICEF channels. And then the other thing that I think is quite good, because then this was originally developed for um, a campaign around migrant and refugee children, but then with COVID, how we just upended everything, as we all know. And so what we ended up doing was really designing everything very carefully so that it could work for different kinds of messaging. And that paid off from a headquarters perspective, because what we managed to do is we got 16 offices using the package, and they used it in different ways. So in one market, for instance, they had an eSport tournament partner and they used, they adapted the creative and used the creative like during the actual broadcast of the tournament over months. Um, some markets used it at local video game festivals that they had partners with. Um, some used it for lead gen testing. Some used it for inspired gift testing. Others used it not for migrants and refugees. Some used it for COVID. Some used it around, they adapted it all around education. So I think the flexibility of this creative and really trying to make it evergreen allowed a lot of different offices to use it. Um, we did get like good industry coverage as well. Um, it was featured in Ads of the World, Little Black Book, which I'm particularly proud of, Campaign Magazine. Um, we also did a podcast with the game developer um, on Mobile Marketing Magazine. So the, it was really well received. And I think it's another instance of this idea of potential and 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 really thinking about like the kids themselves, I think that was what set us apart from other, from other campaigns, like from the nonprofit sector in gaming. Wow, these are amazing, brilliant stats in many ways. Um, and it validates what I, my initial impressions and feelings when I picked up the game and looked at the overall campaign. It had a very different look and feel to it. It was very forward-looking, very innovative, and told that story of migrant and refugee children, which has been told so many times, in a fresh and different ways, right? As you said, it was about positioning the children as um, heroes in their own lives. 
having played the game, the audience then went onto the website and, you know, learned a little bit more about what UNICEF was doing in this area. Um, it's, I mean, that's exactly what you want from your campaign assets. You know, you want to take an audience on a journey and that's what this um, asset did. So congratulations to you and the team who worked on this. And thank you so much for giving us the insights behind the scenes. Uh, these are um, very useful lessons for all of us who work on content, particularly when it comes to audience segmentations and KPIs. So Cody, moving on, um, of course, here at the Social Impact Storytelling Podcast, we want to celebrate our successes, but we also want to be real and honest about some of the, you know, some of the failures that we've had along the way, right? So in that spirit of transparency, can you tell us about um, a campaign that you worked on that didn't actually land the way you had anticipated? We had one big failure a few years ago that I'd like to talk about. I think it was back in 2018. Uh, so working for UNICEF at the time, same campaign, in fact. And we really wanted to do a campaign around the World Cup. And we wanted to do a mass reach the general public campaign. As many people as possible, go viral if we can. And we wanted to kind of tap into this, the fervor around the World Cup worldwide. And the call to action was a, it was a user-generated call to action, user-generated content call to action, basically asking people, we had a Snapchat lens uh, to, to yell goal as long as possible as a way to kind of add, add your voice in support of refugee and migrant children. So we had a whole campaign around that. So it was, we had a really nice hero film with a professional footballer, um, really nice story, but... It really did not succeed. And we took a step back and we said, what happened? And we really looked quite critically at the results. I mean, in some ways we did well, but in other ways, we didn't get to where we wanted to be and to achieve what we wanted to achieve. And we realized that we went too big and that we weren't able to really target. We didn't know who exactly we were trying to reach. The, the call to action was maybe a bit too loosely connected to the issue. And so it really forced us to take a step back and say, okay, you know what? We need to start over. We need to really, really understand who we're talking to. And we need to understand what kind of messaging works with them. We need to know what makes them tick. Um, what kind of music are they listening to? Very granular. And then develop out of that. And so we did this whole market research and really audience segmentation and a lot of workshops around who do we want to target with what message. And we ended up with three... Um, target groups that were very different um, and messaging for each of them that was very different. And so the gaming campaign actually came out as a result of that. Um, so one specific target audience, what we call our take action audience, and we really wanted them to, we really wanted to get to know them. And so then when the agency we were working with proposed gaming, we said, okay, well, let's see. Yes, gaming, it's a match. Um, but we also need to make sure the issue stays close. And so this way, we had already done a couple of other stuff in between based on this research as well. So as I said, we spent a couple of years kind of building up the audience and working with them. And then by the end, we were able, we were really able to start hitting, getting, hitting the sweet spot. That's a really solid example of um, something that was deemed to be a failure that led to a campaign that was more tightly focused, much more agile. 
smart KPIs and smart objectives. And, uh, I think, you know, this is where I really want all of us as content creators to just normalize failure as part of the process. Uh, what I always tell myself and, and those I'm collaborating with is just don't be afraid of failing. If you're not failing, you're not thinking big enough. So I, I appreciate that in the spirit of authenticity, you've actually just been very frank about your experiences. So Cody, I want to take a few steps back. And uh, earlier in the, in the show, you mentioned that uh, the, the gaming industry is bigger than Hollywood and music industry combined, which is, frankly speaking, mind boggling. I mean, the opportunities seem to be huge, right? And right now, everybody's talking about the metaverse and the web 3.0. So in the, in the metaverse, at least in my view, in its current form, is essentially engaging gamers in the gaming community and virtual experiences and so on and so forth. So I want to hear from you on what you think the opportunities are for nonprofits to really engage gamers in, in the gaming community at large in terms of driving advocacy, fundraising, and brand positioning? I think the, the opportunities are endless. It, it just keeps growing and growing. Key opportunities I see as a storyteller, um, because technically it's, it's a bit over my head, to be honest. But what I see as a storyteller, because I did lots of research for this campaign, and I was having conversations with professional gamers and getting their advice and kind of checking in to see like, if what we were developing felt felt like it would resonate with their followers. And I think the biggest thing that I pulled out after these conversations was that people follow game, you know, people are game and follow gaming because they want to be part of a community and they like this idea of working together virtually with somebody you haven't met to achieve a common goal. They like this idea of supporting each other. And so this, this sense of coming together as a community and being together as a community and achieving things together as a community is something that the nonprofit sector can really tap into. They want to take a stand. Um, they want to do it together because they know it's more powerful if they do it together. They want to amplify each other. And I think it also works for fundraising. One gamer was telling me that her followers, you know, a lot of them don't have a lot of money. Um, but they still want to help. And so if they can just donate a dollar and that dollar gets amplified or matched by others, they want to do it because it's how they can help in their capacity. So I think this is this idea of community and, and achieving things together and being bigger than just yourself is something that, that, we, can, that we can play with more. Awesome. I really like that phrase, being part of something that's just bigger than yourself having that sense of community, purpose, and um, solidarity. We have a few minutes left, and I want to use that time to spotlight the work of other content creators. Cody, give us uh, an example of a campaign or asset that um, you really admire and had an impact on you. Go. There's lots of interesting initiatives happening all over. Look out for, I think, the International Red Cross is doing a lot of stuff. One asset, because you asked for a specific asset, one asset that I, that I really admire is, it's actually a UNICEF asset um, coming out of UNICEF Norway. So the Norwegian team also um, is very intrigued by gamers as an audience. Um, I think they're even working with professional gamers. Um, and they produced this, it looks, how do I describe it? 
it basically looks as if you're starting a video game. So, you know, like in, in some video games, when you start, there's kind of like a little video that plays that kind of sets up the scene before you actually start playing. So that's how this video game is set up. So it's um, almost Lego-like characters. And they're talking about a mission. So again, this idea of a mission that needs to be unlocked and achieved. To um, So they're asking questions. And so slowly, um, video game, the characters, like some of them like aren't able to achieve the mission anymore. And in the end, there's only one character, and it's UNICEF. And it shows what it takes to deliver a COVID vaccine. Um, because UNICEF was um, asked to deliver via COVAX. Um, so we led in the, in the procurement and delivery of COVID vaccines um, to, many, to many countries. Um, so I, would, I really like that piece. And then, uh, again, it really speaks to gamers, but it, and it tells a story. And I, it's not gamified um, in terms of like you play through it, but it's gamified in the sense that it really, you feel like you're in the world and that, that I really admire. So I think, and it was really, again, like speaking to gamers specifically. So I would check that out. In terms of other initiatives, it's not a specific um, campaign asset, but many of you, if you know about gaming and you're nonprofits, know about Gamers Without Borders. And so Gamers Without Borders is really the, the biggest like esports tournament for charity. And what I was saying before about bringing um, about gamers wanting to come together, this is a really great example of gamers coming together um, in friendly competition to compete um, in a tournament where the winnings go to nonprofits. And just as what I like about Gamers Without Borders is just that it brings the gamers together and the gaming community together, it also brings the nonprofits together. So there's a whole suite of, of nonprofits who, who can win the prizes and basically the teams that win decide which of the winnings goes to which um, participating charity um, or nonprofit. And so I think that is really nice because, again, it's this idea of bringing people together. And UNICEF participates in that and has been for a couple of years along with other nonprofits. And so that one, I think, is a really nice thing to keep your eye on. Perfect. Uh, I actually haven't seen the, the COVID video. I'll keep an eye out for that one. Uh, and then we'll, obviously, uh, we'll, of course, include it in the, in the show notes. And with that, we've come to the end of our conversation, Cody. Thank you so much for joining us and, and sharing um, your storytelling journey and insights, particularly the failures, because it takes an enormous amount of courage to disclose something like that. And just before we let you go, Cody, some of our listeners may want to reach out to you and connect with you on social. Where can they find you? You can find me on, on LinkedIn. Uh, just search for Cody Trigger. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Social Impact Storytelling Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to this conversation, make sure you subscribe and tell a friend to tell a friend. In the meantime, if you'd like to keep the conversation going, you can find me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Leila on Mars. I'm also on LinkedIn. Just look for Leila.